that are not really part of the message itself, but hopefully will be a little seed that will be helpful to you. Something for us to remember is that in the process of following the will of God, it does not mean that everything is going to go smoothly and well. God will often take us into realms of difficulty and hardship. And just remember this. We're not home yet. This, this is something that I think believers struggle because the world struggles with this. They think God is nothing more than a great philanthropist to whom you run whenever you need help and he dumps out on us all these blessings and all these good things and if we're doing the will of God, everything's going to go well. Wrong! The Apostle Paul is doing the will of God and he gets to Philippi and what happens? The people there turn on him. They essentially blackmail him to get him out of town by making Jason, the guy in whose home he stayed, pay a price that if Paul didn't leave town, he was going to have to give up. And we're not told how much it was, but I would suspect it was a rather significant amount of his earthly possessions. And Paul took the advice and he was ready to go. Now, wait a second. I made a mistake. I said Philippi earlier, didn't I? There is only one perfect person. And he's the one we're here to worship today. And he is represented in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is my way of saying to you. He went to Thessalonica first, okay? So take your minds, erase that. And then right over here, Thessalonica. That's where Jason was taken and uh, money was taken from him to be sure that Paul would leave. Then Paul went to Philippi. And while he was in Philippi, he ran into some difficulties with some of the people who had come even to hear him. You remember the, the demon-possessed gal and so forth. And, and all of these different things are unfolding. And in the process of that, the apostle Paul and... Uh, his compatriots, and, and particularly Silas in this case, are beaten with rods 39 times, 40 save one, so that they would not give too many uh, slashes with this thing. And then he is thrown into prison. He is doing the will of God. He is rejected in Thessalonica. He is beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. He is driven off from Philippi and makes his way down to the city of Athens. Don't think for a moment that when hardship comes your way, it is because you are disobedient. It may be. The Lord may be bringing chastisement upon you, but I can tell you this, you'll know it. You will know if He is spanking you for disobedience. But you're saying to yourself, I'm doing everything the Lord wants and everything is falling apart. No, it's not. The Lord's allowing you to go through difficult times because he is accomplishing a work. As Isaac read earlier, a work that is based upon his knowledge that is above our knowledge and his ways that are above our ways. And we don't get it, but we want everything to be really nice and smooth right here and right now because we think that's what God is for, to make it all nice. No. The Lord will take us to heaven where it will be all nice. How much suffering do you think Paul and Silas are going through right now? None. They are having a wonderful time. 
They are enjoying the presence of the Savior and the glories of that place that He has prepared for them. And that's what awaits us. But you ain't home yet. Please keep that in mind. It will save you all kinds of grief when you face the hardships in life. And it will give you the opportunity to say, Lord, I'm not really thankful for the event itself, but I am thankful for what you're going to do through this event because I know you're going to work it for good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. Okay, sidebar's over. Let's go back to Acts chapter 17. And if you will look, please, here at verse 16. It begins with this phrase. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, you'll notice that just above that, Paul had gone down to Athens, and then uh, Silas and Timothy had remained up in Philippi, and Paul had sent for them because he saw that a great door of opportunity was opening up in the area in which he was now located. And so he sent for uh, Silas and Timothy, and they're on their way. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Well, now he comes to the city of Athens, and what does he find? He finds a city that had been a great city previously. It is now in the process of decline. Things are starting to go downhill. It was a city in which there was an extreme amount of pagan idol worship. They had essentially formed gods with their own hands. They made up their own philosophies. There are going to be different um, philosophical schools of thought that he's going to come into to conflict with. The, the Epicureans, who believed that there was a God, but they believed that when you died, your body would ultimately turn to dust and your spirit would be gone. It, they, they essentially held the beliefs that a lot of people hold today. That when, you're die, when you die, that's it. It's all over. Where do you get that? Oh, well, it's what I see. Oh, yeah, that's good. What we see never confuses us, does it? Never misleads us. We need an authority that tells us what lies on the other side. One that is absolutely, undeniably true, authentic, and trustworthy. And we carry that in our hands. We call it our Bible. Paul's going to come into conflict with these Epicureans. And he's going to come into conflict with another group called the Stoics. The idea that the Stoics had was we want to get ourselves to the place where we are no longer affected by pain or by pleasure. So that when we have painful experiences, we can stoically stand there and say, so be it. And when we have tremendous experiences of pleasure, we can fold our hands and say, so be it, and be totally unaffected. And we still use that terminology today. Somebody gets some news that normally would kind of stir people up emotionally, and we say, well, they were very stoic in their response. Well, that's these guys. They laid the foundation for that. So... He's in this city. There are probably some Jews there. Well, there are. There are some Jews that were there. There were some um, devout Greeks. Um, he, he uses the word Greek to, to refer to Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew. It's kind of like the Amish refer to everybody that's not Amish as English. Are you aware of that? You're English if you're not Amish. Well, 
to the Jew, anybody that was not a Jew was a Greek, but we would better understand that as a Gentile. In other words, anyone that's, that's not a Jew. And so he comes into this city and he sees how these people are worshiping these gods. And, and they're just kind of sharing their philosophies and everybody's got their own way of thinking. They all do things the way they want to do them. And they've got this idea. You know what? I guess it doesn't really matter what you believe. If there really is a God, then, then we're all going to find our way to him eventually. And, and there's a lot of different roads that lead to God. And, we're, you know, if there is a God, he couldn't be that bad as to condemn people to an eternity in hell. Paul's got a different story. Verse 17, Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Now, if you have a Bible that has notes in it, that idea of babbler is really kind of cool. It's it's really an interesting little word. If you look at your note, it says seed picker. How many of you do you see that in there? You see that? He's a seed picker. What does it mean he's a seed picker? It means, well, who is this guy that has come into our town who takes this bit of philosophy, this bit of belief, this bit of understanding, and he just kind of puts it into a bag and he comes up with his own little mash of information. So Paul is a a seed picker, not a cotton picker. All right. Maybe he was a cotton picker. I don't know. But anyway, uh, others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Why? It is the most important event in all of history. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, Mars Hill, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Their tribe has increased through the centuries. And people like this are just everywhere. Oh, tell me something new. I'll believe this for a while, then I'll believe that for a while, then I'll go this direction for a while, then I'll go that direction for a while, and you tickle my ears and make me feel good about things, and that'll be fine. Well, that's not Paul's approach. Verse 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. That, Folks, do you kind of get something here that's a little bit... You don't have to agree with me on this. Um... But I know that some people really have a hard time with some of the holidays. Um, uh, Halloween is just uh, a terrible thing that has its roots in in demons and all this other stuff. And um, Christmas even is the Christian 
uh, replacement for some of the old pagan holidays and things of that nature. I would just ask you to consider this. Paul was being faced by a lot of pagan influence and atmosphere. And he used that as a springboard to present the truth. Now, those of you who think that these holidays are wrong to observe and you don't participate in any of that, that is between you and the Lord. And he gives you the freedom to do that. But don't condemn those who don't see it your way, who understand that sometimes when we allow ourselves to participate in these false things, Christ wasn't born on December 25th. When was he born? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, it's a great time to communicate Christ. It's a great time to use that holiday as a springboard. And you can even use Halloween. Do you ever think about dropping a tract in with the candy? When the kids come to your door, use that. Oh, not me. I'm closing my door. I'm I'm going away that night. Go away. That's fine. But if you're going to stay home and you're going to give candy, why not drop a tract in there? Watch what kind of reactions the neighbors give you. (laughs) Who knows? But you can use that. Here Paul says, oh, I see that there's an unknown God that you're worshiping. I'm going to tell you about him. And he uses this as a springboard. So now listen up. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And now he goes into an explanation of who the true and the living God really is. These people don't have a clue who God really is. And Paul understands that he is dealing primarily with Gentiles who are not believers. Uh, Some commentators will point this out, and I've heard this now from uh, several different places, that when the Apostle Paul primarily spoke with Jews, he began talking to them about the law. He would begin explaining about God's call of Abraham and then the descent and down through the, the time of Moses when the law was established. But when he speaks to Gentiles, he begins with the creation. And he talks about that which demonstrates the infinite power of God. And look at how this begins to unfold. He says, God, who made the world and everything in it. Do you guys understand that those stars you observe at night were brought into being by the word of the true God? He spoke, and it was. And things that you have no way of understanding, things that you cannot comprehend now, that today we're just beginning to understand, things that that are beyond human comprehension, the size of the Milky Way galaxy, the number of stars that are in this galaxy, and then realizing we're just a little galaxy among billions of other heavenly be, uh, heavenly things that were created the stars the 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 moons the the galaxies you look up in the sky and you see a star and you say oh isn't that star beautiful tonight and then you realize when someone tells you no that's not a star that's a galaxy and there are billions of stars in that galaxy do you understand that the god who is the true and the living god spoke 
And everything that exists came into being. This world in which you live, God spoke and it came into being. The people who surround you are the descendants of two. God formed one from the dust of the earth and he took the other from the side. And in his infinite capabilities breathed into them the breath of life. And man became not only a living body, but a living soul. He put the complexity of all of creation in the seas and in the animal life. He created the beauty of the flowers. He created the trees that bear fruit and the Vegetables that grow to feed us. He spoke and the animals came into being. This is the God that you don't know. I'm telling you about the unknown God. You better understand, this God is powerful. The pagans didn't always believe that. They believed that the the gods sometimes would go to war with each other. And you, you all know that. And there would be these battles. And some gods were good. Some gods were bad. He says, no, there is one God who created everything. And he is a good God. Listen to what he goes on to say. God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth. Does not dwell in temples made with hands. Well, that's a big deal to the Athenians. They believe that they can build temples to their gods and then inside those temples they will put up these stones or wooden images that they have fashioned with their own hands and they believe their God dwells at this place. And Paul says to them, you have no idea about the infinity of the true God, His limitlessness. When you see creation, He fills all that is created. And here's something else. He goes beyond what's created so that the only thing that's beyond beyond the end of that which has been called into being is God Himself. And how far does He go? Infinitely. Did you ever try to grab that? I can't. My head doesn't get around it. Do you guys, you, you guys in school, what are you all sitting down here in the front row this morning for? Do you think I don't look at people in the front row? Is that why? No, I think it's neat. I appreciate the fact that you're down here. And you guys seem to be awake so far. That is really good. Where were we? The infinity of our God. Um, we, 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 don't, we can't grasp it. And Paul is telling them, you have gods who are limited in their space. The, the, the people that Israel had encountered believed that there were gods that were in the mountains and there were gods in the valleys. And when you'd go to war, you would find out whose god was the strongest. And that's why the psalmist would talk about the god that we worship is the god of the mountains and the valleys. He is the one true god. Paul goes on and he says this, In verse 24, God who made the world, everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Verse 25. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Please listen carefully. He has just declared the absolute independence, self-sufficiency of our God. 
do you understand what that means? I, I want to take you down a little bit of a path here, and you can, you could turn this into a super highway. You think about this on your own, and you formulate an understanding of what he's talking about here. But let me just give you a little bit of a seed as to what this is all about. Does God need you to read the Bible? No. You don't, he doesn't need you to read his word. Does he want you to? Okay. Hold that in, in thought. Does God need you to pray? Oh, you're a little bit weaker on that one. In other words, here's what I'm asking. Is there something that we add to the perfection of God when we pray? Is there anything that we add to his capabilities when we pray? No. There is nothing. What does God need from us? He needs nothing. Now. Now we're going to get into some of the real heavy-duty stuff that some of you are not going to like. But I'm asking you to think about this. Does God need you? I wasn't done. (laughs) But you know what? You've just answered all the questions with that. That's a good one. Does God need you? (laughs) It gets weaker and weaker. God does not need you. He does not need me. Does God need my money? We, we did take the offering already, didn't we? Okay. I just, just want to be sure about that. No. Now we'll get into another one. Does God need you to tell others about Christ? No! No! Because if he needs you to do that, he is less than perfect and there's something you add to him. He does not need us to tell anybody else about Christ. Now this, I, didn't I tell you some of you were gonna not like this? And, and I'm serious, I know you won't. But now let me put these into a single package for you. Do I believe God wants us to read the Bible? Do I believe God wants us to pray? Do I believe God wants us to be stewards of that which He has given us materially to use for His glory? Do I believe that God wants us to tell others about Christ? Yes, 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 yes. And many more yeses. But here's what you and I have to understand. And it's something I don't believe that we have really grasped. God doesn't need us for any of that. He allows us to be involved in all of those things. He allows me to read His Word so that I might know Him better. And do you know why? Because if I don't know Him, I live a life that is far less than what He intended for me because my eternal life is to know Him. That's what eternal life is about. It's not God rescuing me from hell. It's God bringing me into a relationship with Him that allows me to know the Creator. Everybody here that Paul's talking to, they don't know the Creator. And you and I need to know Him. Guess what he does? 
He gives us the privilege to know Him. So now, when I take His Word and I read it, it's not, oh, God expects me to do this, and if I don't do this today, then bad things are going to happen to me. No! I read this today because I know Him. I need Does he need me? Do I need him? Desperately. Desperately I need him. Do I need to speak with him in prayer? Yet. Don't be weak, folks. Yes. We need to speak with him in prayer. He commands us to pray. He wants us to pray. But I'd like you to go a step further. He privileges us to pray. I get to go before the infinitely powerful, all-wise God at any moment I want to and lay my requests before Him. And hot dog. (laughs) That's an old thing. Those of you who are not with us in the gym years and years ago won't remember that, but there was a guy that got baptized. He didn't know all the language that Christians knew. And when he came up out of the water, instead of yelling amen like we all do because we're... We're really holy people. (laughs) He did what anybody that genuinely understands what knowing that you've done the right thing, what it can do. And he yelled, hot dog. (laughs) That is great. I'm glad you remember that. That's good. Okay. I am privileged to pray. I am privileged to give. Now, I'm not turning this into some appeal. That is not what I'm doing. But I do want you to understand something. When you struggle with giving, you have a problem. If it's a struggle, you have a problem. And you need to spend more time reading and more time praying so that you can understand the privilege that God gives you to give. (laughs) Not me. Well, let me suggest two things to you that will change, hopefully change your mind. The one is that we are laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. And for two, I don't know where we got the idea that anything we have belongs to us anyway. It's been loaned. And it's his. And you should use it wisely. Somebody might be sitting there thinking, oh, you're thinking we should just dump everything to the church. No, you have the responsibility to care for your family. You have the responsibility to be wise to care for your mate, your children. And the Bible even commends preparation to care for grandchildren. That's all part of good stewardship. But then part of that is to say, Lord, as I give to you, I want to give generously. I want to give hilariously. I want my soul to be happy as I say, I can give this to you and now I can trust you to provide for me. Does he need my money? No way. Does he privilege me to give? Absolutely. Does he need me to tell others about Christ? No way. Nobody is going to get to heaven because you succeed or you fail. If they did, salvation would be by works. 
And it would be your works that would be resulting in the eternal well-being of someone else. Don't think of yourself that highly. Instead, think biblically. I have the privilege to carry the message of life to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. I have the freedom and the joy to be able to tell people about Christ. And if I don't do it, somebody else is going to get the joy. Chew on it. So I'm looking around. I can see some of you are still... "Mm, I'm not sure about this. That's okay. If this is... uh, a human philosophy, then it needs to be dumped. But I am absolutely convinced God doesn't need us for anything. We need Him for everything. And the bottom line to me is, do I want to tell people about Christ? Absolutely. Because that is a privilege. Instead of saying, oh, I don't, I don't think I ought to ever say anything for Jesus. They'll think of me as somebody weird. Well, they probably already do. And... So what are you going to lose? And, and so y- you tell people, not, not in a beating over the head, but, hey, do you know what Jesus did for me? I am an awful, awful sinner. And because Jesus loved me enough, he died on the cross for my sins. And then he rose from the dead. And he gave me forgiveness and eternal life you know what i really am so thankful that you've given me the opportunity to tell you about this because this is really a privilege for me and then guess what happens the spirit of god goes to work in a person's heart and we don't know how he does it we don't know when he does it we don't know where he does it but he'll go to a into go to work in a person's heart and these people will respond and they'll say yes i believe that christ died on the cross for my sins i believe he was buried i believe he rose again from the dead yes he is the one who gave me eternal life And then the Father says to you and me, Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to reward you for willingly doing what I wanted you to do. And now I'm going to give you a reward. What? Because you had to? No, you didn't have to. I had so-and-so lined up. If you messed up, they were stepping in. Because salvation is not of you. Salvation is of the Lord. And the only way people will come to Christ is when the Father draws them. So it isn't you, but I gave you a chance to be part of it. And when you pray for your missionaries, I gave you a chance to be part of their work too. And when you gave for the missionaries, guess what? You get some of the reward for that. Do you see? Do you see why this was so important for Paul to communicate these truths about the true and the living God? He doesn't want the people wondering, does God need me? No, I need him. And when I do something that is of eternal value, it's because he gives me the privilege to do that. In fact, he enables me to do that. And then when I've done it, he says, now I'm going to reward you for it. We have this idea that the Christian life, when you come to know Christ as Savior, okay, here come the rules. Everybody sit up and listen. 
I want you to read your Bible every day, and if you don't read your Bible every day, then what's going to happen to you is going to be something awful. I will bring down my hand upon you. And a lot of us were raised that way, believing if you didn't read the Bible every day, something awful was going to happen. Please don't think that way. That's superstition. It's what these Athenians did. If I don't pray every day, God is going to be so unhappy with me. In fact, I don't think he's going to love me anymore. You poor, poor person. You believe that for a minute, you have no idea who the true and the living God is. He says, I love you in spite of what you do. If he didn't love us in spite of what we did and didn't do, none of us would be saved. But God so loved the world. Even in our rebellion, God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not my failure that determines his love. Now, when I decide to disobey him, are there consequences? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's my father, and my father loves me. And my father's not going to let me live in rebellion. He's going to grab me by the back of the neck. He's going to give me a good whack and say, go try again. It's called discipline. Any man that loves his child disciplines that child. And the perfect example we have of that is our loving Heavenly Father. You guys know that, don't you? You guys know that, right? Your parents love you and they discipline you. And they don't let you go the way you want to go because the way you want to go is really messed up. Because the frontal lobe of your brain hasn't developed yet. And it won't until you're about 24 or 25. And then you're going to start getting it. Think about it this way. What are you going to do to your kids? Wait till they act the way you do. Am I right? Yeah, we've all been there. We know what that's like. Here's something else we know. We have just started this message. So, no, I know some of you be like the Haitian church. <laughs> they go for hours, and that's great. But our culture does not allow that. And it doesn't. I'm sense I would if I were you, I wouldn't want to be sitting here any longer. <laughs> you didn't come to church to go home? Well, Patty, we want you to go home. <laughs> no, you all here's the deal. Um, it's gonna be a few weeks till we can get back to this. Next week, of course, is the men's retreat. We often try to end the message with a, a specific challenge. I, I don't have that now. We're, we're just getting started. And so let me just suggest this. Will you give some thought to this? Will you think about what a privilege it is to do the things that God wants us to do, not as commands, but as opportunities? as privileges so that when we look at our heavenly father we don't see him as an ogre up in heaven waiting to smash us every time we do something that's not according to his will he is merciful he forgives he wants us to recognize our sin he wants us to confess our sin but he also knows this i want you to do the things that i want you to do because 
you love me. You love me. Hey, parents, with these kids down here, do you want them to obey just because you said so? Or wouldn't it be better if your kids would say, you know, I'm going to obey mom and dad. I don't get it. But I love them. And I know what they want. Can we... Can you guys do that? They're not committing. Do you notice that? (laughs) All right, then let me raise the bar. Can you do that? Can you... Because the Heavenly Father... The Heavenly Father wants you to do it. Okay. That's where we're going to end. I do have one question. How many of you got texts during the sermon? How many of you were texting each other and saying, this man is nuts? (laughs) See, today, you just never know. I have a feeling some of you got texts. Maybe not from within here. But anyway. Give it some thought. Pastor Steve, would you come?